I seem different to you now that I'm a thermos man. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it means, Laura, that I got a thermos for Christmas. A nice thermos. I accidentally left it in the car right now, but I, I'll have to say it's changed my whole life. So remember... I put everything in it all the time. I just walk around with it. Whatever the beverage of the second is, I just pour it in the thermos. So remember when you brought a thermos over here several months ago and then you left it for yeah, like, that was more like six um, months? I did remember that. And frankly, frankly, it was not one of my better moments. We didn't know it was yours because it looked almost identical to one of the ones that we have. One of the big metal ones. One of the metal ones that like insulate hot or cold. And I thought that like the one that we had had just just duplicated. Well, I'm ready. Spontaneously. I think I might be ready to get off the super mom's train. (gasps) <gasps> frankly and they could have locked me up is that your 2020 they could have <laughs> sponsored us all the times i tweeted at them is that your new year's resolution they could have given me my dollar 99 24 ounce abomination of a coffee for free but they never did and now you know what now I'm they pouring, lost the chance now i'm pouring mugs of coffee into my new thermos are you putting anything fancy feeling, in your coffee i'm so glad you asked <laughs> um we have this peppermint creamer Mm. I put a little splash of that in, and it's like Christmas every day, folks. Mm, um, that's nice. Anyway, we don't need your sponsorship dollars anymore, Super America, um, because you had your chance. Now we're too big. Now I'm a thermos man. <laughs> um, and we're just, what, I'm just looking outside. It's blizzarding. Blizzarding um, is a strong word. It's a strong word. You did word get for, your car stuck, It's a strong word for the person who isn't driving their ass around this town. You did like, get your car stuck, I did get though. my car stuck, because I've driven here twice today. Um, it's, it's a real sticking point, folks. Um, a little behind the curtain is that I hate driving in the snow. Um, <laughs> he says as a man from Colorado who now lives in Minnesota. Yeah, but the thing of it is, is like, for what? You know? Like. To see your good friend Lauren to eat all of her cheese. I, I'm old And some now. baklava. Laura, I'm old. And I'm having a bubbly. In, I'm getting on in years. A raspberry bubbly. I'm coming one of those people who like groans when they sit up in bed. Who like, and it's like, if you have I don't a thermos have to get now. My, if I don't have to get in my car, you know, during the day, then I'm just not going to, especially not in a blizzard. Like my, my grandmother, for instance, won't drive when it's like night or when it's, um, when it's snowing or anything. Like she just won't do it. And frankly, I think she's, I think she's got some good points there. Eric. I think I might start adapting the rules of the road of, uh, Grandma Hayne. <laughs> I love um, how contrary you're being today and how grumpy you are that you're here because this is the perfect episode for you today. Yeah, no, we've got a lot of stuff to point out, uh, which is great. Thank you, Book World, for never taking a day off, even when we do. Um, But anyway, that is probably a good moment to say welcome to the last ever print run episode of this decade, of this decade, not ever, don't worry. Um, but it's the end of 2019, folks. Um, we've got one more episode. We're going to talk about the big thing that everyone else is talking about. So, and that, of course, is RWA. Um, but before we get to any of that, how about the basic rundown? 
Yeah, so it is the end of December. It is the end of the decade. That means that all three special episodes will be on Patreon before New Year's Day. Um, So head on over there. We recorded what I think are pretty fun first page and query episodes earlier this week. Um, So head on over to that if you are not yet a member of Patreon and you're thinking, you know, maybe 2020 is my year. I'm going to get published. I'm going to really, you know, workshop my writing. I'm going to I'm going to go from being a writer to being an author and mm-hmm. thinking about the that two-way street that is reading a book and having written one. And you know you what? You get run over in both directions. <laughs> because because your car yeah. is stuck. It's blizzarding out there. You're, Yeah. Okay. We're taking this too far. But the whole point is we have days of content for you. And a lot of people have said that it's very helpful. And for a measly $8 a month or even $3 a month, you can head on over there. And of course, if you are listening to this and you say, well, Laura, an $8 is not very measly amount of money to me. That is a lot of money. And I can't afford that. Um, Send us a note because we have always always emails. Yeah. 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 If you can't afford these special episodes and you need them right to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com because that is a gift we want to give we're to on you. your side folks like truly like if it's a if price is an issue get in touch we'll figure something out yeah um uh in addition to that if you also get in touch if you have requests for special episodes if you have a query you want us to critique if you have a first page we want or if you have a taloon it may concern anything like mm-hmm. that again our email address is printrunpodcast at gmail.com um so last last little note here um as i was leaving your house for the first time today (laughs) because again i have been here twice i have driven four times back and forth from saint paul today um actually it'll be the fourth coming up that was a Mm. lie the fourth is coming after this episode Uh, i was getting in my car and i swear that person swerved into the slush to get me it was like one of those moves oh i got hit like I was getting in my car, I was outside of my car, and someone swerved into it, and s- suddenly I was just the dude yelling obscenities on the street at the outside car. my house. Oh yeah, outside your house. You're lucky that no one knows I live here because they probably think I'm a crazy person. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was shouting. I was covered in slush, driving home. No good. They um, were just testing your new coat. But that's the lengths we go to do the query show, folks. Mm. Um, we love it. We hope you do too. Um, where are we even going to start today? We've got like a... We're going to start with Duck's Newburyport. Yes, we are. Which you read. I have not read it. You've not read I it. I have not read it. Um, I would like to read it. It seems like... Do you have it? No. Um, You've just been talking about it a lot. I've seen... It's more that I've seen others talking about okay. it a lot. So Duck's Newburyport is um, by Lucy Elman. It is a big, fat book, famous uh-huh. for being a man booker shortlist, or I guess it's the booker now, not the man booker. Uh-huh. Um, and we've also, canceled men in 2019. Yeah, we've yeah. canceled the men. Yeah. Um, but very famously is the bulk of it is one sentence. It's like a thousand pages and it's like one sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, like, honestly, I like to see somebody using that kind of uh, that kind of punctuation in this year. One of the most annoying things I have ever watched unfold on book Twitter, though, was people performatively talking about how they decide to set the book down. Because there's no chapter breaks. There's no sentence breaks even. How do you decide when you're at a stopping point? And I'm just like, this makes me want to go You stop cave. when you want a sandwich <laughs> is when you stop. Yeah. Um, Get a hobby. Um, but anyway, so basically, I, we just want to talk for a few minutes. Um, Galley Beggar Press 
in the UK is the publisher of this book. Okay. Mm. Um, so they are a small kind of independent press. They don't have a lot of funds to work with. Suffice it to say that the Booker Prize and the Booker shortlist, um, it's the one, it's the one uh, award that's always accompanied by like a really, really strong pick in sales because the Booker is like the cool, fun, like punk rock the Booker award. Moves books, yeah. The Booker moves books. Yeah. Um and so what happened when Ducks Newburyport was was nominated, um the book people, which is a book chain like a bookstore chain, kind of like a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million or whatever, um, what they did is they went to Galley Beggar Press, again, an independent press, and said, hey, we want to do a special edition just for our stores. And the press said, oh, boy, that's OK. It's going to be a stretch, but we're going to do it. So what they did is they basically put in an order for 40,000 pounds, mm-hmm. pounds, that's like $65,000 or something We're not like economists, that. folks. We're not economists. <laughs> um, I haven't looked up in the exchange rate, but it's about that. Um about sixty to seventy thousand yep. dollars worth of one printing. Yeah. Lo and behold, the book people goes into bankruptcy. Orders canceled. Orders canceled. That leave, but but that leaves Galley Beggar Press with all these books and all of this money out <laughs> that they <laughs> that they yeah because um, printers. I don't know if you guys know this, but you have to pay them. <clears throat> Basically up front. Which is right? different than publishing, which where is, you don't have to pay anyone which is, for anything. Which is do. funny, yeah, because um, printing, printing is the first part of publishing. Printing, an industry, requires you to pay for the services that you purchase. Yeah. Um, so this this company, what they did is they started a GoFundMe to raise that money back because otherwise they would basically have yeah. to shut down. Yeah. Okay? Um, they made their goal. They ended up getting... Almost two thousand donors. Um, they ended up getting just under, just above forty five thousand pounds. Everything is saved. But I want to talk for a few minutes about the 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 payment systems in bookselling. Okay, yeah, and this sure. is something that I'm, you know, we've been planning on talking about. We have a guest slated for February right. where we can talk more in depth right. about this. But essentially, um, there is. The book selling system is on kind of a 90-day accounting system, and books are always returnable. We know that that's how Jeff Bezos made his billions. Yeah. We yeah. know that that is how Amazon has taken over everything. We also know that, you know, like that is – it's super, super good for bookstores, and it's super good for consumers because that way um, shelf space can can be used and curated. Um, it's very good for bookstores. It's good for bookstores. Mm-hmm. And bookstores need all the help they can get, honestly. Yes. yes. Except for when shit like this happens. Yeah. It's just like the return policy or even just like the way that people can like you don't have to buy the things you buy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like here in this situation here where they, you know, this per these people place a forty thousand pound order. For a special, a special edition, a special edition, exactly. Like a, not even so, just a bunch of books, no, no, but a no. special edition. A set of books specifically designed for this purpose, um, and then for that, to, for them to do, for them to execute the order. It's not even as though this got canceled before any, you know, before anything got changed hands. Right? They printed the books, right? 
They printed the books, and this is yeah, a chain that is requiring that of a small press. And this small press, which again won just won the Booker Prize. Like this is what you would theoretically like if you're a small press and you're winning the Booker Prize. One would hope that this was an industry that at least rewarded that by keeping you off GoFundMe. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Seriously though, like it's this is a press that's doing something right that published a book that a lot of people liked was received with critical acclaim, and they're on GoFundMe because they got because this industry is just so precarious and no one has to pay anybody anything, you know, at the moment of service. And it's like I guess in this situation, I really do see like the moment of service is when those books are printed, like when they. Spend the money. It should come, you know, and it's just, and you see this all the time with like, you know, return policies, like publishers, you know, they can, they have books sent back to them all the time, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just, it's but a, normally it's a return books very, are not that big of a deal, yeah. even though the publisher still has to pay. Yeah. Um, return books typically are not that big of a deal because theoretically those books can be returned and then sent somewhere else. Yeah. That is not the case with this. And so, I think one of the things, there's not a ton to add here, but one of the things we just wanted to draw attention to this particular instance yeah. is how the the system doesn't have a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. for special circumstances. Like what should have happened here is the book people should have said, oh, yeah, we want, you know, 30,000 copies of this book for our stores or whatever. I don't know what the cost for printing this honker is, whatever. It's probably more than 150 a piece. But um, they want these books. They yeah. put the money up front. Right. And you know what? Maybe they wouldn't have, if they would have had to do that, maybe they, they wouldn't have put in the order because they would have gone bankrupt sooner. Well, just think about how this would work in any other field where. You ask for something to be made, mm-hmm. they make it, and then, well, you don't pay? You don't pay before they start making it? Like, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just a, it's just one more example of where it's like publishing, like, the art business thing we talk about every now and then, right? Like, this is, like, a lot of this stuff kind of hinges on the agreements that everyone is doing their best, everyone is strapped for cash, and that is true, but it's also a system that ends up relying on like if one party suddenly can't keep the handshake agreement everything plunges into chaos yeah. right and and it leads to exploitation even when it's not meant like it's not as though this these people were trying to screw over this press you know what i mean like they went under and that's that's bad for them too like we don't want that either but like it just there's there's just so much precariousness all over the place that at any given moment some part of some transaction could fall through, and it's just crazy. Like I, I mean, I think everybody early- keeps passing it along towards the author. So this reminds me that a lot. Thing. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of um, when like a publisher or something will decide to cancel a book or pull a book out yeah. of distribution for something, yeah. right? And if you turn around and you as the author or you as your agent like sell yeah. that book to a different publisher you have to use the royalties of that republishing to pay back the first publisher before you make money and so it's kind of everything like everything ends up being the everything ends fault. up being the author's and, fault <laughs> and even like it's just i've seen so many of these you're right that it eventually the it does just get the ramifications eventually hit the author like i'm just thinking of a situation you know i had as an agent this last year where 
I reached a written offer for mm-hmm. a book, and then we accepted the offer and was then told that the offer would be no good, that they that they, the press was being bought and sold, and suddenly all they were like voiding a whole season, all this kind of stuff. And who does that end up hurting? Like that led to me having to send the worst email of my life <laughs> telling the author that their book deal went under. You know what I mean? And it's like, but, and I remember being on the phone that day talking to the editor who, it's not that person's fault. They didn't buy and sell the publisher they work for. You know what I mean? It's not even probably the higher ups at the publishing houses who don't, you know what I mean? Like there's just, there's just forces in play that prey on this precariousness. It keeps and moving where back. It, it keeps moving back to the to the to the party that is the most vulnerable. And eventually, it ends up yeah exactly. So in this so case, the party that was most vulnerable is the small publisher. Yeah, in other cases, right. it goes directly to the author. Right. So anyway, if you're gonna order, if you are a multi um, location yeah. chain, and you are going to Put forth a big special order to do a big special thing. Maybe pay first. Yeah. Maybe that. That would be nice. Even though you don't have to. Maybe do that. Um, I have a question for you, Laura. Yes. What's going on down there? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I've been sitting on this. Um, I've been sitting. So I would like for you to just read the headline on this Daily Mail article. And if you're unfamiliar with this segment, folks, um, this is our cherished periodic look. At the Australian book world. Sometimes New Zealand, but mostly um, Australia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the segment. What's going on <laughs> down there? Um, so this is uh, from last week. Uh-huh. Jay-Z's lawsuit over Australian mother's children's book, paraphrasing the U.S. rapper's lyrics, is, quote, embarrassing, her lawyers say. <laughs> so so <laughs> here's what's going on down there, folks. This is so good. I'm so happy. There is a white woman in australia uh-huh. who created a company called the little homie i think it's like a, a some apparel there's some toys mm. there's some books etc but the little homie as a business has a book <laughs> called ab to jay-z it's an alphabet book where rappers teach the alphabet hell yeah the the <sighs> cover copy includes this <clears throat> if you're having alphabet problems i feel bad for you son uh, and then Jay-Z heard about it because there was an internet scuffle about uh-huh. um, asking asking if this if the little homie as a business mm-hmm. was black owned. Right. Spoiler alert. It's not. It is not. It no. is not. Um, and so then that's how Jay-Z found out about it. And now he is suing, saying that this um, phrase cashes in on lyrics from his famous track 99 Problems, which he also lifted from an ice like an iced tea track yeah, yeah. from like way before. So whatever. But the whole point is um, I'm not familiar with copyright law in Australia, um, but it's just a whole bunch of stuff. The article, um, the Daily Mail article is very funny because it has like, it's like very helpfully and like pragmatically laying out to you like the rap lyrics being referenced. It's like, <laughs> if you're unfamiliar, the rap lyrics from Jay-Z's song, 99 Problem. And it's like, and like, here's the history of this, which he took from. The, yeah. So anyway, that's good. what's going on down there. You have attracted the attention of Sean Carter and by extension, Beyonce. And I don't know any white mom yeah. who is... Who is trying like honestly trying to catch the heat Beyonce. from Beyonce? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So anyway, 
that's what's going on down there. Suffice it to say that I am happy that I am here where <laughs> Jay-Z isn't. I wish I was down there because it sucks here. I'm get, <laughs> Someone airlift me out of here to Australia. I would love to go. Is, is the little homie hiring? Uh, <laughs> I need a job. I don't know. Jay-Z's lawyer is probably going to take all their money. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Is Jay-Z hiring? We've got 99 problems and this is one of them. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the other like 1 to 98. Yeah. Of the problems have to do with the RWA. Yes. Which is the Romance Writers Great of America. Segue. Thank you. Um, maybe in 2020 we'll stop commenting no, we on won't. my segue. I was about to, I actually had the same thought as I said. I was like, maybe <laughs> maybe there'll be a resolution for next year. No. No, no. <laughs> we will still be talking about the transitions in this show. So, so the RWA. Yeah. Please, Laura, fill us in. Okay. So there are a lot of roundups. They're a lot more comprehensive because this is, as we like to call it, a shit storm of the largest magnitude. Yeah. Um, my favorite roundup of this whole thing um, is by Claire Ryan on their blog, ClaireRyanAuthor.com. And you can find it. The, the article is titled The Implosion of the RWA. And what's good about that is it's chronological and it links out to various Twitter threads and, and you know, Nora Roberts we'll statements, it, yeah. et cetera. Um, so, Claire, good job. Uh, but essentially what happened is Courtney Milan, who we've talked about on this podcast before, because like um, yeah. she's a really, really, really great historical romance author. Um, and she has been very instrumental in past years for kind of calling out the problems of RWA, uh -huh. the, the racial um and kind of all of the other, all of the other isms that you could stuff can, uh, well, into I, an can organization. Can I ask a backup question yes, just back to like, for context? And this is going to sound simple, but I want I want people to hear it. What is RWA? Like it's a Romance Writers Association, but like it's yeah. ostensibly, what is what the function yeah. of this organization? Um, so Romance Writers of America um, has a couple of core tenets. They include, um, so if you become a member and you can become, there's a couple of different levels, right? You can be like an agent or a publisher that's kind of an associate member. But then there's also, it's it's an organization, professional organization for romance writers specifically that is for published and unpublished authors. And it provides um, subscriptions and discounts to things like Publishers Weekly, et cetera. It has contests. So we've talked about the Rita yeah. before. Yeah. Um, Education for like webinars, workshops, etc. They do. They honestly, they throw killer conferences, um, and they're they're at like trade places all over. And there's a lot of really active local chapters that do their own conferences as well. Um, not only that, you know, they've there's just the general community. Um, they have over a hundred local and online chapters as well as robust online forums. And I'm getting all of this directly from the yeah. rwa.org yeah. website. And then advocacy where they are advocating for the best publishing practices for its members, including fair contracts. Um, and they also have, you know, theoretical, like, access to legal resources, et cetera. Right. So um, lots of stuff. RWA has been plagued in many recent years with a lot of problems. We've talked on this uh, we've talked on this podcast before about how Miss Beverly Jenkins um, won a Lifetime Achievement Award after never having won a Rita because no black woman had ever won a Rita. Yeah. Um, there was something, I think it was in 2015, where the leadership of RWA came out saying that the definition of romance had one man and one woman. 
and then they had to that backpedal on that. Um, there's just been a lot of shit, right? RWA has also famously been founded, was founded by a black woman who then was ousted from the organization. So people have been working and fighting really hard, specifically in the past years, um, the leadership of RWA, which is this massive, massive, massive organization, this nonprofit organization. Um, a lot of authors of color have been coming in and working really, really, really hard to make it a more yeah. inclusive place. Right. Okay. Which is, I great. feel like, well, I mean, it's great, but it's also like the sort of thing that we see in a lot of different organizations, right? Yes. Where like we have these kind of, you know, these big writing institutions that are historically one way and... They, you know, like, this, you know, these people come in and they want to make it a more inclusive space. They want to make it mm -hmm. a, you know, a place that actually works to represent the people who are actually writing in the category, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like this sort of struggle and this sort of attempt at change within an organization's, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to, say, like starting your own thing. Like, this is something we've seen, you know, we've seen it in science fiction fantasy. We've seen it here. Like, yeah. It's, if you remember, like, yeah. the sad puppies and the Hugos right. from a few years ago, um, the World Science Fiction Society has been dealing with a lot of this with their members um, trying to and trying to game the Hugo Awards. But, like, this decision yeah. to not cut and run and start your own thing, but rather say, hey, no, this big existing institution, we want to be a part of it and we want to critique it and improve it right, right. Yeah. so just to give a little bit of background but again i urge you to go online and read the recaps because it's a whole lot of shit um courtney milan a few months ago who is um a, a biracial writer she's she's half chinese yeah. um she called out a book that was problematic in its representation of a half chinese um, main character and she called it basically like quote a fucking racist mess um, referring to the book <clears throat> the publisher and kind of the the editor of that particular book filed ethics complaints um, the rules of RWA state that only authors can file ethics plate uh, like complaints against other authors but there's like a lot of a lot of messiness here because yeah. they were doing it as publishers right yeah. they are doing it as yeah. publishing professionals so it shouldn't have been lodged in the first place it um goes through to an ethics committee that was not the original ethics committee but like created totally separate right. and they found courtney milan guilty of basically like harming Bullying, like harassing <laughs> yeah, yeah basically yeah. like harassing yeah. these people and so she was found kind of like not guilty on three out of the four counts but with the one count that she was found guilty of she was suspended from rwa membership for one year and banned for a lifetime of holding leadership positions right. note that several months before courtney milan had been given a lifetime like a service award yeah. by rwa for for the work that she's done with like racism within the organization yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so, so this is a little bit of a flip you're saying like yeah. this is yeah yeah and in subsequent everybody's been getting really mad about this and that would in, be an understatement and i would think it would it is an understatement um, but the whole point is that like it keeps digging deeper and deeper and deeper and rwa like the the leadership ever like all of essentially all the good people are resigning and all the bad people keep bringing out 
new statements that are contradicting things and showing they, that like the how deep and deep the bias goes it's now they are making yeah. well, i'll just say like as a value neutral judgment and right. i'm not value neutral on this i think you know courtney is in the right that and that a lot needs to like the rwa either needs to go away or be fundamentally rebuilt from the ground up at the end at this point but like it's whoever is like doing the PR strategy for our de- whoever's like pulling the string like okay now we're going to do this like get someone else to do that because <laughs> it's going really poorly and as you're saying like it is just every single thing that they release and it's is like contradicting the, their words and it's that worse. they're willingly just throwing out there like they it's just it's digging worse and worse and worse and and what's also happened with this yeah. is a lot of other stuff has come to light recently that points to that this is not an only like this is not its own thing right like there it's become to light that certain chapters are paying black panelists half of what they're paying white panelists rwa is kind of canceling memberships willy-nilly so that it like messes with the recall petition to to cause um the newly elected board to or to to have to resign there's other stuff where a lot of ethics complaints that are f- towards white women um have not ever made it to the ethics committee i want to talk about that for yes. a second cuz that bit when this first came out when i guess i i don't know how what the initial post was but i found out from seeing courtney post about how she mm-hmm. had been censured and you know there was the text and all this kind of stuff and um, the thing that my very first impression of all this was like this whiplash feeling because of how fast and effective a like internal ethics process went when it come when it came to this because like just as a total like again like take the value out of it for a second mm-hmm. what happened here a person lodged a complaint mm-hmm. the complaint was heard in a timely manner and the person who was like complained about was immediately disciplined yeah right now think about for a second how rare that is like all the people who like we talk a lot about people in all different kinds of categories and all different situations who have very rightful gripes about Mm -hmm. you know things happening in publishing with an institution whether they're at a publisher whether they're part of a writing organization and like a common theme we come back to is that like these instruments of accountability such as an ethics board that is meant to like enforce things, we often bemoan that they don't work that well, right? They're inefficient. They force, you know, they have unreasonable standards of evidence. They have all these different things that make it so that basically they don't work at all and they don't actually help the people they're meant to help. Right. Unless you're doing the magical thing where you're claiming reverse racism, in which case all of the machinery works like a charm. Everything's <laughs> greased wheel. Like if you, I would say it's actually much, much easier to get a reverse, like to say, hey, this person is calling us racist as a charge. That, getting that prosecuted in one of these organizations. So easy. So fast. So easy. Much more so than saying someone is actually being racist. Yep. Like, and it's just, it's just, I think that that specific bit really needs highlighting because like, this machinery, like I, the thing I want to point out, these institutions do work. These, this machinery is capable of doing what it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. The reason it doesn't is not because they're inefficient or not because they're not built to do the things they're doing. It's that they're not built for you. 
they're built to enforce a very specific system. They're built with a specific type of writer in mind as a means of entrenching power, as a means of keep, as a means of gatekeeping, as a means of keeping people out. But like, I just think it's illustrative, like on a totally value neutral like way, like the ways that we could be holding writers accountable, the mm-hmm. way that we could that we could be sticking up for vulnerable people trying to make their way in this industry, like. All of that stuff is there and does exist. It's just not working for the right people right now. You know what I mean? Like it's right now it's being in service of people saying I got called a racist and that is the real racism. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like classic. Like I remember, I was just like looking at the like the memo, the original one's like how can I be racist if I was like faving tweets by Diamond and Silk? It's like Jesus Christ. We are <laughs> we are in a bad place if this is like what we're using as um, evidence ev- for like it's crazy but like the point is like the bar is so much lower to make this stuff work if you're punching like down the power ladder you know what I mean And because that's who it's for and it's just I don't know like that was my initial I mean there's a lot to talk about here but yeah. that specific thing like these instruments that we all want to exist as ways of protecting writers they're there they exist they're just not working for the right people and so I think like it, it's worth mentioning that these that these systems are working for the wrong people, okay? And these systems have been have been the the push that authors of color have and and allies have been trying really 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 hard to get enacted into the system. And I think I kind of you know it, as far as the minutia of the rest of this process. Um, I think I want to leave that to people who are yeah. in RWA or who have who have been in executive yeah. positions and have been working on this. But I think I want to talk instead about like from an outside perspective as somebody who Eric is completely outside of the romance area, but it works in publishing and I represent romance, but I'm again not a romance author um, from from people outside. I want to talk about. Is this salvageable? Because I think I think. A lot of people are thinking, well, the systems are good. It's the people who are enacting the systems that are bad. And right. I think my argument here today is that that's not true. OK. Um, and so I and again, like I'm coming at this through my experience as like a, a, an agent and in a, in a, my experience going to like the RWA National chapter as a as a relatively young agent, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, there are there are some specific problems baked into the the premise of the what rwa yeah. is the machinery and what that is so that actually is a that's a key distinction between mm-hmm. what i was just saying and what you're saying now and yes. i think i actually think that i agree with you which is that which is like it added on like part of the reason this in these instruments that i'm talking about that could theoretically be working for someone else but are working for the wrong people but do exist mm-hmm. is that they are specifically designed in an intrinsic way that is tied to the exact sort of power structures you're talking about. Yes. Yes. I I think I agree with that. Yeah. So it's not just that somebody filed this ethics complaint and it did or didn't go to the ethics committee. I think the problem is how RWA is built. Yeah. Okay. And I think that this is now a failed experiment of a professional author's network. Okay. Let's hear about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the first thing is like, I think, very, very intrinsically, and if you're a listener of Print Run, like you understand this, um, baked into an organization that supports marginalized writers of any way, shape, or form, what that has to do is it has to start being accessible financially. 
Yeah. And I think yeah. I think that all of and I'm going to I'm going to kind of just talk for a while and Eric jump in. But I am. And it's 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 we're going to get there. So yeah. my experience um so I've I've gone to a lot of really fabulous local artery chapters mm-hmm. where they're kind of, you know, they they pay for me as a young writer to come and talk and yeah. it's and it's great and you know, I it's it's some of my time I meet really amazing people and whatever. I'm talking about the national platform and how they do their business, okay? Um so the big national convention every the RWA or RT or no not RT, it's the RWA convention. RT is a different thing. Um <clears throat> Agents have to pay. Yeah. So let's start with that. Okay. Let's let's start with the fact that agents have to pay to go to this convention. First, you have to prove that you are a like reputable agent, right? That you've sold this many romance books in this amount of time Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. So immediately that becomes really difficult for a brand new agent to do. Yeah. Okay. Now remember. Remember that agents of color and otherwise marginalized agents oftentimes don't stay in the industry that long. Right. Which means that it might take a little while before they can really be brought into this organization that then they have to pay for. Yep. So you get a discount. Paying to work. Yep. You're paying to work and you get a discount for going to this conference. Um, And in exchange for that discount, you have to do pitches. Right. But again, you have to. So. So. First of all, which they're selling, which they're as selling. I mean, like, so the thing with pitches is like, we aren't getting, I say we as an agent, cause I've been in this situation at conferences mm-hmm. before, but not specifically RWA, but like we, a lot of the time we don't get paid to do that, but those are being, that feature yep. is being sold to people. Like the reason people are paying to come to writers conferences is because of the chance to pitch. Right. Right. Yeah. And so if you are having these financial barriers up for new for new agents or maybe for agents who are marginalized and don't have the funds to do this. okay, that's step one, because a lot of marginalized writers should and feel most comfortable working with marginalized agents because for, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. That's from my experience. It was, oh, this isn't really for me. Okay, that's interesting. Like I showed that a thousand dollars in total. And yeah. I shared a room with somebody like it took it cost me a thousand dollars to go to this yeah. to go to this convention. Right. right. I had to fly. I had to do this hotel. I had to feed myself. I had to do all this other stuff. OK. In addition, um, we have the Rita's, which is the big romance writer award. It costs money even for members of RWA yep. to enter this contest. And this contest is peer reviewed, peer judged. So if we have, again, if this is a if this is a peer judged contest and it costs money, mm-hmm. who do you think is going to be entering yeah. and, and, and volunteering yeah. their time? Yeah. Which leads to what kind of winners? Yep. Right. Exactly. So if you have exactly. like Beverly Jenkins says, I know I don't even enter it because it's not worth the money. I know I'm not going to win. Right. Right. If Beverly Jenkins is saying that, yeah. how many other marginalized writers do you think right. are doing that? Or just not submitting at all. Not yeah. submitting at all. It and if you're not your submitting pool. at all, why would you? And if you know that nobody else who is marginalized is submitting at all because you know that they're not going to win, yeah. right? Then why would you volunteer to judge? And so if there's white builds. cishet yeah. judges yeah. and there's only white cishet romances... Right. 
guess who's the winner and then guess who gets promoted at RWA. And so you can see, see, I, I think that's a really great way to lay it out just from the ground up, right? Just from outside in, I guess is the way you would put it, like mm-hmm. from people approaching it as authors to people trying to submit to people being in the organization to people participating in events all the way up to the top. And you can kind of see back to your original premise how the various like accountability structures in this organization, the various ways that it talks to itself, the various ways it decides who has what responsibility, who gets elevated, who doesn't, all of those decision-making processes can come to serve. Like you're, I think you were totally right. Like what we started, like the identity of the people is actually ingrained in the systems. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it becomes an organization that is built to do a specific thing for a specific type of person. And in instances when that gets challenged, like this Courtney Milan situation, like someone who might say to other members, like, you know, Courtney is a member of this or she's not someone on the outside. She's someone. And has been in the executive position. Who is someone who that can be treated as a bug. Right. That's something that's not supposed to be happening. That's something that is, you know, it's a like an internal revolt. Like it is Mm -hmm. runs against the grain of what all of this is set up to do. And it calls into question, well, what is this set up to do? And the answer is not very pretty. And I think like it's it's just one of those things where you have to be willing. Like it just makes me like the thing that I get kind of mad about about this is like I don't like like you've said, like you know, this is a failed experiment. And my, I think that I agree with you. My impulse is to want to say, but you know, what about all the people who are in this organization? This Mm -hmm. was something NK Jemison was talking about online this week. It was like, there's a lot of people like, you know, she was saying like, you know, if people want to burn it down, it's their right. But if there are a lot of people in this organization who have worked for a very long time yeah. to make it better, who have tried to make this, who have put in years, who have put in volunteer hours, who have put in, who have put their careers on the line to make an organization like this what they would like to see it be. It's tough to tell them to cut and run. I it's mean, the tough sunk, to see this the exodus. sunk like, cost it, fallacy is a really difficult is, thing. And the problem with a lot of allies and marginalized writers leaving RWA in protest yeah. is also you are then leaving a really, really strong professional organization to, like, white supremacists. Well, that's what I'm, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. And right. It's a, and it's not – and to be clear, it's not their job to stay and put up with that. Right. It's just this larger-scale problem where that's what we're going to be left with. We're going to – I, like, I worry that what we're going to be left with when people who are very much within their right to leave this organization, yeah. they should, like – you're going to be left with a whiter RWA, you know, you're going to be left with, and it's just, I don't know. It's tough because it just creates, as with any of this stuff, it creates an impossible situation for the people who are actually being victimized by it. And so I'm, I am like, I'm not convinced also like added to all of this. I'm not convinced that RWA has been doing overly much in terms of the activism sure. and helping support agree with that, authors yeah. like that. You know, there's this whole thing with Dream Spinner Press, which is a um, a, a really, really successful um, gay romance press, and they just haven't been paying people for months. And RWA hasn't helped with that in any way, shape, or form. Um, in fact, the incoming president, who is 
a whole you can read about Damon Swade on your own time, catching but heat. catching the heat. Um, but he has a book coming out in January with oh. Dream Spinner, yeah. and and so yeah, so. I'm thinking, you know, there's been calls recently where people are asking, people have been asking Courtney Milan, like, what what are you trying to, like, get out of this, right? Like, what what are we supposed to do now? Yeah. And her answer is just kind of like, what I want, and I don't know how to get there yet, but she's, she said, what I want is a radically inclusive professional network. And so I just, like... We don't need to go super long on this, but I want to I wanna talk about what I think that would look like yeah. from where we're sitting so like which is you know that, as agent yeah. <laughs> as agents which are you know kind of at our core we're author advocates so what do we think a professional network would look like yeah um i think that there hasn't been just in general i think there needs to be a lot of interrogation about what a uh, a new writer needs versus a professional writer needs you know like is publishing for money is as, as like a job or their job um, I think those are different services. Yep. Um, but I think fundamentally, if this is something for writers, I mean, obviously you'll have to charge dues, but I think there needs to be a really clear accounting of what the power structures are. So like, what are you charging money for? How are you creating avenues for these people? Like, is it that people are paying dues and you're, and you're just giving them discounts to like webinars where you talk a million times about how a query letter is successful. I would also just say on the dues thing. Yeah. Like I'm a part of, for instance, political organizations that we are ostensibly required to pay dues. And I do, but like if you can't pay dues, you show up anyway, and you're still you're still like a member. Right. You know what I mean? And like it's and it's because it's an organization that is fundamentally designed to advocate for poor and working mm-hmm. people, and so like you're included anyway. Like the do like yes, pay the dues if you can pay the dues, but like as a covenant with its own members, it basically says like if you can't pay the dues, come all the more reason we need you to be a part of this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. It centers those people. It says if you can't pay the dues right. now. Maybe you'll be able to pay them right. in a year with the Using help that the we support. give you. Exactly, exactly. Like the like dues. I I think paying dues is great for people who can do it. And mm-hmm. It's how you can build an organization. But the idea of it being like a barrier or like a um you know something that would prevent people from being a part of it or feel shamed or like that's right. a big thing that happens with this stuff is like you know. Um, people knowing who isn't paying, like that kind of stuff can really be messy. Paying like, to play for the yes. only, yeah, no the good. only award no for published no for published books in your category. No like, Rita's are the only ones, <laughs> yeah. right? Paying to play for that, no yeah. good. Yeah. Um, having like that's not bad, you know. Requiring agents to pay if you are in if you're in an organization that wants to help people get published and is a network to help them with that. Maybe, maybe, like at the very least, pay for them to come if that's what you're going to do. Or if you're an organization that operates outside of that, think about what support you are going to offer. Okay. Um, You know, like there's, there are all of these systems where I I feel like for a long time, RWA has, has looked into paying for their fancy conference or paying for their staff or, you know, like they're putting their money not back towards the authors in the way that it, that it needs yeah. to. Yeah. So the all of the money that goes in should like for me a really radically inclusive professional organization should do primarily focus on mentorships and scholarships and volunteer time. I think it should financial or like like 
financially support and fundamentally circle around um, like legal help and financial help for authors. And in terms and I'm not just talking like you can do this for free, but I'm talking about, um, hey, you got your contract through an indie, you know, and and in romance is a lot of indie publishing. Here are a list of accountants. Right. You know what I mean? That are really good for this type of thing. Here's a list of like publicists here that are that have been vetted here. Like, you know what I mean? There's there's like resources and support and vetting that needs to be done. And just to like back up even before all of that, like with regard to how to spend the money, being transparent about how that money is being allocated, I think is key. It's like, where are the dues going? You know what I mean? Like what's happening with it? Like people are putting money into this thing. Where is all of it headed? You yeah. know what I mean? Like understanding understanding that and being forthright about that, I think is a great check to the sorts of funny business mm-hmm. that you know these organizations can sometimes. You yeah, know. and and to be clear, like as non members, because we're not romance writers, there are a lot of things on the RWA portal and the website, and it's incredibly robust, um, but that we don't have access to. Um, but again, like the big thing. If a professional organization should be for networking, it should be for access, and it should be for support, right? If mm-hmm. you have if you have an organization whose main tenant is support, that should include advocacy, that should include legal help, that should include financial help, that should include, you know, maybe not putting your radically inclusive, you know, marginalized authors, like enforcing them to deal yeah with microaggressions maybe maybe like i don't know this is this is where i think like science fiction fantasy conventions are doing a really good job yeah. is especially like in person events having a having a no tolerance harassment policy yeah. Yeah. um and they've they've had a they've had a, to do a lot of really 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 difficult work there um and a lot of them are are failing <laughs> and a lot you know and it's it's a process um, yeah. But I honestly, I think, I think that RWA, as it currently stands, as it's you know, it's a forty-year-old organization, mm-hmm. and we still have black women who are legends in this industry, not even getting nominated for the awards. You know, and it's just, it's one thing that is just like it really. I guess keep looking at like you've called it like sunk cost. And one thing that I, I just find really hard about this is like RWA and a lot of the and any organization like this, they get built on people who then they systematically exclude once they're big enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a situation where a group of people, like we were saying, like a group of people come in, they say, hey, this isn't quite what we want. Here's all the ways we can make it better. They start doing that work, usually for free. They start putting in, you know, they build those communities, they set up those structures, all that stuff. And then something as frivolous as this happens, something as straightforward as like the original complaint was, at least from what I can tell. This person called me racist. But, well, yes. and But even before <laughs> that, by the calling of the racist thing, like it seems very, it seemed very straightforwardly racist to me. Like she, you know, Courtney pointed out this passage in these books that played very straightforwardly on Chinese stereotypes that like the kind of stuff that you, that an organization as big and powerful as this should be able to look at and say, yes, we agree. That's absolute, like this, but this is where we're at with it. And this is where like still, I think 
like so many people's understanding of how like race and power and stuff work is so willfully limited and so reflexively like entrenched that Eric question for you yeah. do you think that an organization such as this can be successful being apolitical no okay i i, I think cuz i think that's what it is like that's this that's what it's trying to do but apol- but what do we know what do we know <laughs> from every other conversation where anyone has ever tried to claim they were apolitical ever Turns out they're it not. It turns out they're not, and it turns out they actually have a very specific political program they are trying to advance, and it's this one of perceived neutrality centered on whiteness. We know this. Like, that's not a theory. Like, that is what ha- – like, anyone who is on the internet or trying to be, you know, in, in an organization or anywhere else who is saying, no, no, we're trying to keep the politics out of it. What they mean is that they are sick of people coming in and saying, hey, this isn't working for specific groups mm-hmm. of people. This organization is actually – quite stilted against certain, you know, backgrounds or experience, like, and politics, remember, I mean, the basic rule of thumb here is that for people like that, and any organization that's claiming that, politics is the word for everything they don't like, and common sense or neutrality is the code word for the way they see things. Like, it's not actually, I don't know, like, so no, I don't think they can be apolitical. I don't think anyone can be apolitical. And I think, and I think that's probably why RWA is failing because they, for a very long time, have meant, have tried to be an organization for everybody. And what that means is, hey, do you feel uncomfortable in this space? Sit down and shut up. Yeah. Because you're making everybody else uncomfortable. And so I think, I think to be a successful organization that is this big and this broad, it has to be political because RWA right now is kind of right now imploding because they keep coming out and saying, no, 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 we're like not bad and racist yeah. and, and ableist and homophobic. Um, but what they're saying is, is yes, actually we are that and we're trying not to be, but we're not really trying not to be. And if you, you can't be inclusive and racist like you you just you can't be both of those things you can't let that fester you can't and these places i think like the reason such basic simple things like that often don't translate into how these these things end up actually going in the in practice is that eventually what that means is that you have to sacrifice something Mm -hmm. if you're if you're the people who have power in a given organization, you can pay lip service, you can do all the things, inclusivity, you can say and talk and do all those things you want to do. But at some point, what that actually means is decentering yourself, right? And at some point, it's, you just got to kick some people out. Yeah, that's actually the other part is that it all it means that there has to be displacement, there has to be something has to get moved, like you can't just I mean, you said it better already, like racism cannot exist alongside in the way that it will untouched alongside inclusivity and active efforts to include marginalized population. It doesn't work. You have to eradicate like it's and the attempt to do both eventually leads to what we're seeing now, which is a structure that is now, I think, correctly pointed out by you doing exactly what it is designed to do, which is do that shutting out of those other voices, do that kind of, you know, issuing out the punishments, doing the, um, you know, the retribution, you know, doing the sort of because and i guess like you know just what we were saying like your your choices are that your choices mm-hmm. are either eradicate the racism or watch as the racism take uses Takes the structures over. that are available to it 
to go the other way. Like it doesn't work. Like these are forces that cannot exist alongside one another. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, and we'll see in coming weeks, in coming months, what happens. There have already been chapter presidents who have said, like, well, we'll see. We'll just sit because maybe this will blow over soon. And, well, first of all, don't do that. If you are an RWA and your chapter isn't talking about this and isn't taking a side, maybe think about why that is, first of all. Yeah. but also, I think I think there needs to be some some real and some difficult questions and reckoning. And I think it is a conversation that needs to happen beyond specific rules in the chapter or like in the chapter rules and beyond specific um, like ethics rules yeah. that are part of it. I think I think they're really this is a good opportunity for a deep and true examining of how this structure is unsalvageable. No, I know. And like, I think, yeah, I mean, I guess as last note, like you and I, from the Headwater account, I did announce that we won't be doing RWA events until something changes, if at all. Um, so like... RWA national events. R- yeah. We'll be looking yeah, 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 at yeah, chapter yeah, yeah, yeah. specific sure. ones on sure. a, on a like, specific case by case. The point is like, I think it does take a little bit of chipping in from everyone here to just like, you gotta, there's no apolitical. You know what I mean? There's never any apolitical. You... Mm-hmm. You listening to this right now are not apolitical. Whatever it is you think you're being apolitical about, think again. Think about it. Look, because you're not, and that's good. It's good. Politics is good. It's not. Politics doesn't actually mean all the things I don't like, as a lot of people would tell you it does. Like it means like the things that we do together, right? Like it means the ways we interact. All these things that could be really good, and it's community just, and exactly. opportunity it, and support. It's right. Yeah, so. it's it's all of those things. Yeah. Um, we're gonna be logged on as hell as this continues. Well, yeah, it's a blizzard. Um, I'm gonna be yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we uh, it is officially a snow emergency, um, and we are are going to be keeping up with this and still reporting on it. But we just kind of wanted to 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 dip our toes into this shit storm. Um, We're going to be off next week as I'm going to be in Iceland. Um, But after that, we'll be back for our regular first of the year kind of uh, here's what's coming episode. Um, So look for that in the early bit of January. Remember to listen to all of our special episodes and um, definitely write stern letters to your RWA (laughs) uh, reps. Um, Thank you. And we will see you all in the new year. Bye. Bye.